Well, as I said, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter together and the lessons that um, it teaches us about holiness, um, about God's sovereignty, and about what it means to live for Him. We said it's, uh, it's lessons in allowing God to take the steering wheel of our life um, and letting go of the control um, of that life. And um, last week, well, actually two weeks ago, Kathy DeSmith spoke um, we heard about our call to tell others about Jesus, to share the good news, but also the cost of persecution um, and the cost that we can expect as we do so. And Kathy and Brian have, have experienced that firsthand as missionaries um, throughout their lives uh, in remote parts of Africa, Madagascar, Lesotho, um, Zambia, different places where God has called them. And so I love that we could hear from someone who has actually experienced what it is to sacrifice and lay down their life for Christ. But that call is not just to the missionaries, it's to each one of us who follow Jesus. Sitting here at St. John's this morning and in this next installment of 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to talk today about being more anxious to live for God than we are about how much we we want to live for ourselves and the things that we want. Being more keen and um, desperate, if you like, to pursue the things of God than we are of our own um, desires and our natural desires. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Because sometimes we say, well, my desires are good. Maybe God put them there. But Paul says, no, the flesh actually desires things that are contrary to what the Spirit of God wants. And the Spirit desires things that are sometimes contrary to what the flesh wants. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not just to do whatever you want, says Paul. So we're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4 together. And I'm, I'm going to put up a few of those verses from the, thank you Patrick, from the New Living Translation. So these are the first two verses, which um, Rodney just read to us, but from the New Living Translation. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. That's why I've titled today's message, Anxious to Live for God. And if you could just keep that up, please, Patrick. The first thing that I want to point out today is that Peter says, with regard to the desires within you and me, we are to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. This is something that crops up again and again in the New Testament. Um, Paul urges us as well. You're to have the same attitude as that of Christ in Galatians uh, or Philippians, chapter 2. Peter knew firsthand what it was to let Jesus down. If you like, to succumb to the desires of his flesh or to the natural thoughts of his mind rather than looking to Jesus and putting his trust in Jesus. And these verses, if you like, flow directly from a verse in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 17 where Peter says that Jesus was righteous, he was sinless, he was innocent, and yet he suffered for you and me. 
the unrighteous, the sinner. And it says that he did this in order to reconcile us or to bring us home to God. So when it says here, you've finished with sin, no more sin, it doesn't mean that we are now sinless. There was only one who was completely innocent and sinless, and that's Jesus. But while we are waiting for the culmination of all things, the return of Jesus, we still live in this sinful body, but our sinful desires are subjected, subjected to Jesus Christ. And when that's the case, when we invite him into our lives, the righteous one counts our sin as forgiven. Every time we turn to him, we had the um, confession at the start of the service. And when we confess, um, it's as if we've never sinned. His forgiveness is complete and immediate. And the power of sin over our lives is broken. It doesn't have that power to hold us and to grip us, even though sometimes we think it does. And we can feel shame and guilt. God says, no, you're forgiven. You need to walk away from it now. And so there's an acknowledgement that we'll still sin, but Peter says we must have the same attitude as Jesus. In other words, we must endure, not succumb to the temptation and suffering, just like Jesus did. It says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him. Peter's not saying that we're sinless. He's saying we must follow the example of Jesus who endured and kept going despite, says that he had the same human body as we do. He also experienced temptation. But we must be more anxious to do God's will than we are to fulfill the things that we want, I want, my desires, particularly when it comes to our sinful desires. It's a bit like soldiers in an army. We have the military base next door to us here at St. John's. And when you sign up for the army, you think of the greater good. You subject yourself to a set of rules and orders that come through the army um, that say, I am not going to live the way I want to, however I want to. Your body and mind may want to stop marching or to eat now or to go on holiday, but the orders of the regiment say, keep marching or do your training, submit to orders. And those that outrank you are the ones that you obey and you follow. And Peter goes on in the next few verses to say this looks practically um, like something. It has a practical outworking. The things that people who are not in God's army want are contrary to the things that God wants. So when you're not in the army, you're walking the streets of Weinberg and Civis, you can live life how you want to, although you're governed by the rules of the land. But you don't need to live like a soldier in the encampment at Weinberg Military Base because you're not subjective or not subjected to those rules. And he says they give in to whatever their body wants, the lust for money, sex, power, food, alcohol, idols, things, basically any and every human desire and addiction, anything that pulls us and has the ability to pull us away from God. And we know that many of these things in themselves are not evil, but what our heart does with them can be evil. Our obsession for them 
can be evil. And the world says, if you want it, you can have it. Take it. It's yours. But God says, the Word of God in Peter says, we all have these cravings. Even Jesus would have had these cravings. But if you follow him, you've got to have the mind and the attitude of Christ, who also had these cravings, but he did not give himself into them. He thought of you, and he thought of me, and that's why, for the joy that was set before him, for your salvation and mine, he thought of his body, his family, the church, and so he chose God's will over any temptation that lured him away. He chose to make God's will his own will. And Peter also is not aloof to temptation and suffering. We've seen many examples in Scripture where he gave in, caved in colossally and failed. But as a disciple of Jesus, who is growing more like Jesus himself, and now he's a leader in the church, and he's proclaiming the word of God boldly, he says, come on, people. I was there too. I know what it's like. And probably he would have said, I'm still subject to the same temptations. But I've chosen to have the mind of Christ. We've got to be ruthless for the sake of the good news. Ruthless with ourselves. We've got to check our own motives, the things that pull us. And it's not just the things that pull the teenagers, the drugs and the alcohol. It's the things that pull all of us. It's the things that, it might be a TV series. It might be a gossiping conversation. It might be um, this food that I just love. And when I'm not coping with life or um, I know I should be doing this, I run to that instead. It's those things that Peter says, subject yourself to God's army, to his rule, to his way. And in verse 6 he says, that is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, so that although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. This is why we have the mind of Christ, so that the good news will be proclaimed through us. And those who are living in the place of death without Christ would come to discover him through the good news of the gospel. We heard the story of Joseph, and the life of Joseph in the Old Testament is given to us as a type, a foreshadow of Jesus, what Jesus was like, of the life we're called to walk. And he's not perfect, but he's a foreshadow. He, he points, if you like, to Jesus. And what that looks like in human form, Jesus was, uh, Joseph was especially loved by his father. Jesus was the only beloved son, the only begotten son. This is my son of whom I, uh, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Joseph was given to suffering and to death by his brothers. He was given over and could easily have lost his life. But it's a story where there's forgiveness and it's a story where there's redemption. And one example of this is how in the midst of suffering the life of a slave in the household of Potiphar, when he's tempted by Potiphar's wife, instead of succumbing to the moment, he flees. It doesn't just say he, he said no thanks and walked out. It says he ran. He ran out of there. 
so fast that the cloak that she was clinging to, she kept on holding and his cloak was gone and, and he just kept on running. That says to me that he was deeply tempted in the moment. It would have been, if, if, if he wasn't at all tempted, it would have been easy for him to walk away and stay cool. But he didn't stay cool, he ran. And that's a good thing. Joseph actually runs and remains faithful to God rather than succumbing to the temptation. And Peter says, same, have the same attitude, have the same attitude as Christ in your unwavering commitment to live as God's people for God's purpose and overcoming your own desires. What are those desires for you this morning? I know what they are for me. What are the things that have a tendency just to pull you away a bit so that your eyes aren't really on God's purpose for your life right now? But there's a distraction. Let's be more anxious to live for God than we are to live for ourselves. It is in this place, not the perfection of getting it right, but I think in the place of our heart desire to put God's purpose first, that we are transformed by His grace that we are being transformed as we walk. That's the first thing, the same attitude as Jesus. The second thing, and if we could have the next um, slide, please, Patrick. Number two, don't just think about it and get all spiritual in your mind. Oh, I'm going to live for God and His purpose. I'm going to put off sinful desire. But the Word says get practical. Get practical about it. Here are some practical things you can do. Um, Peter says the end of the world is coming soon. So be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most of, important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And cheerfully share your home with those in need or who need a meal or a place to stay. The NIV says practice hospitality. I like this because it says cheerfully open your heart and your joy, your home, with it, however much or little you have, open it with those, for those who need a meal or a place to stay. Three very practical ways in which we can work out this running from sinful desire and committing ourselves to the purpose of God. The first one of those three, I just want to talk about for a moment. Share your life with God. It says be devoted to prayer. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayer. It's the, it seems to be the most important thing because Peter puts it first. He says, first of all, if you're going to live a life with the same attitude of Christ, as Christ, then get serious about prayer. And what that says to me is get serious about your relationship with God. If you're serious about a relationship with someone, it means you prioritize time with them. It means you prioritize conversations with them, listening to them, speaking to them. The one couple, um, the wife said, I think you need to go and see the doctor. You've got a hearing problem. So he goes off to the doctor and says, doctor, my wife says I've got a hearing problem. And the doctor says, okay, what I want you to do is um, when your wife's not looking at you and you come into the room, I want you to stand away off and just um, speak to her and ask her if she can hear you. And if she can't, then you know, step a bit closer and ask her again. And then step a bit closer. And then you can see you know, how far she, she can't hear you from and, and until you're close enough that she can hear you. 
So he says, fine, Doc, I'll try it out. And he goes off and he tries it out. And he comes back and he says, um, there's a problem. Because I went into the room and um, I said, honey, can you hear me? And she said, didn't say anything. He walked closer. Honey, can you hear me? She didn't say anything. He walked right up behind her. Honey, can you hear me? She didn't say anything. She tapped he tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and she said, for the fourth time, stop yelling and tell me what you want. <laughs> I started wrong because I said he had the hearing problem. He went to tell the doctor she had the hearing problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. Terrible jokes. Prioritizing prayer is like when you prioritize a friendship or a relationship in your life. You want to speak with that person. You want to listen to that person. And Peter is saying this is the first and the most important thing that you could possibly do. The result of time with the Father who loves you is a heart filled with love. So secondly, he says, don't just prioritize prayer, and that slide again, please, but get practical by sharing your love with others. Share your life with God, but also share your love with others. Peter says, um, show deep love for one another. Show deep love for one another. And then he says, love covers over a multitude of sins. I think many of us know that verse, and I think many times it's been misquoted. Love covers a multitude of sins. So it doesn't matter what we do, because love will cover it all up. But what does it really mean? What does it mean? It means if we love one another deeply, out of a place of deep connection to God, commitment to prayer, He's filling us up with love, and so we come to others wanting to love them deeply. Those who are easy to love, and those who are not easy to love. It means we love with the attitude of Jesus, the way that He loves us. We're willing to overlook faults and mistakes because we recognize we have faults and mistakes. We're willing to forgive because we know we've been forgiven. To show empathy and kindness and compassion and extend grace because we know we've been forgiven by Jesus. Whatever it is, however long we've been holding on to it, it's not worth it because God says, I'm not holding on to your sin forgiven you. I love you. Let go. Let that person go. Forgive them and love them deeply. Who do you need to, who do I need to show deep love to today? Just give that a thought. And thirdly, he says, share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. This is about also having the same attitude of Jesus. Is this someone who needs a meal or a place to stay or someone you need to exercise hospitality to? Perhaps you already are. I think Joseph, even when he was in prison, was doing this. He was connected to God, deeply connected in prayer. He was devoted to showing love to others, those who shared a cell with him. And I think it's even possible in a place that is not your home, a foreign land, and now a prisoner in a cell, to exercise hospitality. Because that kind of behavior draws others to Jesus. And so these are practical ways 
in which we can, if you say, how do I run from sin? We do these things. Instead of turning off the light, uh, uh, chasing out the darkness, we turn on the light. Practical ways of talking with God often, loving one another deeply, and showing hospitality. Very practical. And so that is um, how we um, get practical. And another way, if you like, the third thing I want to talk about is the next screen, please, Patrick, is using the gifts that God has given us well. God has given you gifts. He's given me gifts. He's given you abilities, and he's given them to you for a purpose. I know some people who say to me, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what I can do. But if you ask others around you who see you all the time, they'll tell you what you're good at. If you can see the things that you flourish in, and maybe that bring you some joy as you do them, it's probably an um, experience of using your gifts there. And these gifts are to be used for God's glory. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. I love that. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Not half-heartedly, not a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but enter in fully to the thing that God has given you and use it well, he's saying. Do it with strength and energy that God supplies, and then everything you do will bring God glory through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to bring God glory through my life. I know that he wants us, his church, to bring him glory through the community that we are and the way that we live towards each other and towards the world. How does Jesus achieve this, what he wants to do in the world today through his body? He gives us gifts. He's given us gifts. Peter is saying, use them. Whatever it is God's given you, use it for his glory. So here's a, a place just for us to do a little audit or a check on our lives. What are the gifts God has given you and me? How am I using them? Is it bringing glory to God? Joseph had a number of gifts, but one of his gifts was interpreting dreams. And he used it to serve God's purpose. Initially, he didn't use it so well, and it caused a lot of conflict. Maybe it was manipulative. But through the process that God had for him, and the journey he went on, he learned to use that gift so well that when he was called before Pharaoh to interpret a dream, he played a crucial role. He said, I can't actually interpret this. Only God can. And then God gave him the interpretation. And he played a crucial role in the salvation of many people during the time of the famine. What gifts has God given you and how are you using them for his glory? Because maybe there's a famine out there. There are many needs out there, but maybe God has given you a gift to unlock something that will change that forever. He uses people like you and me. Using your gifts can lead others to salvation and to be disciples of Jesus also. When we use our gifts for God's purpose, we are the community of disciples that God intended us to be each one contributing our part 
Each one playing a part in strengthening the body of Christ and transforming the world around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to pray for a moment over some of those things we just talked about. Our prayer life, our love for others, our relationship, our hospitality, and our gifts. And um, we, we talked last week, if you were here, about our pledges. Maybe you filled that in. Thank you if you did. If you didn't, you would have been given a copy today. I'd love you to bring this before the Lord in your prayer and say, God, what is it you've called me to give of my finances towards St. John's community and the building of his kingdom here? And then with this form, you can fill in what you want to pledge, and it's completely confidential. I don't look at it. Only Sharon and Clive, the treasurer, look at it and log it so that we can budget. The other half you tear off and you keep, and you write down what you pledged, and you, you tear it off, and you, you put this half in the envelope, and you can put it in the offering. Um, but this half you can keep as a reminder, um, and it's got bank details and things. Um, and that's for, for those of you who are regular members of St. John's. If you're not a regular part of St. John's, this is not speaking to you. But I just want to encourage you, if you've pledged, thank you. If you haven't, would you please prayerfully consider? Um, and maybe you're receiving it today for the first time and you'd like to take it away and pray about it. That's also absolutely fine. You can bring it back and put it in at another opportunity. Let's just pray. God, thank you for the messages of Scripture that speak of the power of the good news of Jesus Christ to transform our very lives. And this call to turn from temptation, to turn from the desires that we have, that are for our own good, and to look at your kingdom and to look at your purpose and to say, God, how can we use our life to play a part in your body? Lord, bless our prayer life. Draw us closer to you. I pray for each person here today that their prayer life would go deeper as they pursue you in a relationship with you. I pray for our love for each other, that that would go deeper and further. I pray for the healing of hurts from years gone by that have caused us not to speak to someone or to treat them differently. Pray, God, that you would help us to love each other deeply, as your word says, and to offer hospitality, as even Joseph did in a prison cell. Help us to use our gifts that you've given us to serve in your church and in your world in order that you would be glorified and that many would come to know, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord and Savior. We pray this in your beautiful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.